From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Emily Arnson. This is your news for Tuesday, May 23rd. Last week, a group of biologists from the University of Arizona came to Moab to catch birds in the Matheson wetlands. The nature preserve is home to over 200 species of birds, but these biologists were only looking for two in particular, the American yellow warbler and the southwestern willow flycatcher. What we're interested in is the evolution of song and plumage color. This is research scientist Sean Mahoney. He's trying to find out if the pitch of a bird's song and the color of its feathers can tell us anything about its health. But one of the ways that song might have evolved is a way to communicate fitness or health or condition to another bird. And so what we're trying to do is, is test that hypothesis. And so we're out here recording bird songs, and then we're also taking all these body metrics, feather samples, blood samples, to look at white blood cell counts. And then we're going to try to see if there's a relationship between song and plumage coloration with those metrics of condition. Birds use songs to communicate, but Mahoney is wondering if there's any kind of subliminal message in the bird's song, something that can tell us how strong their immune system is, for example. If we find that certain song characteristics like frequency or bandwidth or something like that, if that's correlated somehow with white blood cell count or something that we find in the blood, some indicator of immune response, that could be an indicator to another bird that, hey, I'm healthy, so either don't mess with me because I'll beat you up because I'm in good condition, or come mate with me because I'm a healthy individual. He set up a few nets around the wetlands. They look kind of like loose badminton nets. And then we have a speaker that plays the bird songs, and the songs attract the wild birds, and they fly into the net, and they're completely unharmed, and then we very carefully remove them from the net, and then we'll do those body uh, size estimates and the blood sample and everything that I just discussed. So on the recorder or on the speaker, do you play like a mating song or why does it attract the wild birds when you play the song? Yeah, it's song is used to attract potential mates, but it's also used to defend territories. They fly in and think, oh, is this someone that's trying to either take my territory or is it somebody that I can potentially mate with? Right now, he's hoping to catch a yellow warbler. So you can actually hear it singing over there. It sounds like doo 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 doo. This is playing sound? Yeah, that's okay. the speaker. This is the recording. Is that a mating call? Yeah, that's a male yellow warbler, I think. Females, it's becoming more and more known that female birds sing as well. I didn't know that was not known. I assumed yeah. they all sung. More and more studies are finding that females are also sing. And so that's another aspect that we're trying to study. You want to know how many males and how many females you have in the population because it gives you a sense of breeding potential. If he can prove that there's a relationship between song, feather color, and overall health, it could make it a lot easier for biologists to know whether a bird population is healthy. Then we don't necessarily have to put up all these nets and catch them and handle them. We can just record their song and that might give you the information that you need to know about the population. So we don't have to handle them and, and mess with them in the wild. Have there been any studies or have you drawn any conclusions from other bird species, like a higher frequency indicates a healthier bird? I found that in willow flycatchers, 
that sing higher frequency songs produce more young. Here's an example of a high frequency flycatcher song and a low frequency. And so that's really neat because again, there's an endangered subspecies of willow flycatcher in the Southwest. And so if we want to monitor that population, we can do so with just recording units that record songs in the wild without having to handle them, without having to watch their nests. Why do you think a higher frequency call indicates a healthier bird? Yeah, it could be that that frequency transmits better in the environment that it's in. While I was out there, they caught a yellow warbler. Oh, and it looks like we have a yellow warbler in this net here. Oh my gosh. So beautiful. This is a male. He's really, really yellow on the breast and the belly, but he also has this really nice red streaking on the breast. And then the wings are kind of this blacker, darker color, and the tail also has kind of these black streaks. And the back is almost this really nice greenish yellow color. So really pretty. But we'll take this to the banding station. What is it about the yellow warbler? Why this bird? Yeah, I think, uh, well, as a scientist, I want to be able to collect enough data to answer questions. And because they're so common, we're able to do that. It was the first bird that I held. It's the first bird that I really studied um, intensely. And so I just have grown to love them. And I think they're really charismatic. If you want to dig deeper into Mahoney's birdsong research, you can find a link to his work in today's show notes. Campgrounds along the Colorado River in Moab are currently closed for public safety. As KZMU's Molly Marcello reports, the river is running high and fast. 40,000 cubic feet per second. That's how fast the Colorado River was moving when the Bureau of Land Management's Moab Field Office announced their campground closures. At certain spots along the river corridor, water was just about lapping up to recreation infrastructure. Yeah, it's pretty close. So I was talking to one of our recreation team members this Mm -hmm. morning, and he said at King's Bottom, it's about a foot from some of the campsites there. So it's pretty close. Public Affairs Specialist Rachel Wooten speaking on Friday. Popular riverside campgrounds like King's Bottom, Grand Staff, and Goose Island still remain closed as of Tuesday. Certainly, people are coming here to recreate. They had planned on staying in the campgrounds. Many people were kind of planning to stay over the weekend. And when in talking to our folks on the ground, I've really heard that folks have been understanding, but also, you know, sad. But they know that it's for their safety to leave. Folks planning a Moab Memorial Day weekend river camp experience might need to change plans. It's just too early to tell whether or not riverside campgrounds will reopen by then. Wooten says it's ultimately up to the water and the weather. Our team knows that this is a busy time. People want to be there. So they're kind of, you know, weighing, weighing options. And we try to be conservative in that if we think there's a risk, we want to make sure people are safe. This is a high water year. The record snowpack across the West is melting. And while that might cause a temporary disruption to riverside camping in Moab, it's a boon for many boaters. Wooten has a safety message for them, too. You know, we always encourage people to recreate responsibly on public lands. And, you know, if you are planning on going out, make sure you're prepared and you have your flotation device, you have the skills you need to do it safely and, you know, clothes and and things to keep warm because 
the river's flowing high, fast, and cold. The BLM Moab Field Office is updating their Facebook page with information about recreation safety and campground closures. They plan to reopen Riverside campgrounds once the water level drops. For KZMU News, I'm Molly Marcello. This year, Lake Powell will get a big boost from melting snow. The nation's second largest reservoir on the Colorado River needed the water. It was at a record low earlier this year. KUNC's Alex Hager met up with a crew of adventurers to document the historic moment. When it comes to Lake Powell lately, it's like the old saying goes, the only constant is change. I call this the moon zone because it's kind of like going to the moon every time. Jack Staus with the Glen Canyon Institute invited me and some other water nerds to come see Lake Powell at the lowest it's been since 1968. He's leading a meandering hike through a narrow canyon with towering red rock walls. And we're just kind of exploring, rambling around through boulder fields um, where there used to be a reservoir. And it's pretty beautiful. There's birds and bugs and little water critters. A lot of times, Lake Powell is in the headlines because of what's going away. In the 1960s, engineers flooded Glen Canyon to store water from the Colorado River. Now, less than a quarter full, it's a harrowing visual reminder that we built a system for watering the West, and that system is struggling. But at the same time, when the water draws back, people like Staus are celebrating what gets revealed. There are ecosystems that thrive in these side canyons, even when they've been dewatered for just like four years you start to see stuff come back on a really unprecedented scale. These ecosystems and the stunning canyons that cradle them have been coming back for a few years now. But other sections where the reservoir has shrunk dramatically in just a few months are showing change in real time. Every time you come down here, it's sort of a different game of steering the boat through stuff. Kind of exciting, actually. Like a little puzzle. Staus is piloting us around the blackened tips of cottonwood trees just poking out from underwater. Len Nessifer, founder of the advocacy group Natives Outdoors and a member of the Navajo Nation, is another member of our expedition. He's looking at the messy, muddy delta of the Escalante River, which flows into the reservoir. You know, it's constantly changing. I think that's the, you know, in, in a few weeks you'll be able to motor around and go up to, you know, Willow Canyon and all that. But right now it's, yeah, in this like sort of crazy zone of transition. As we start to turn the boat away from shallow ground, Nesifer says it's a great reminder. As much as humans try to control the world around them, even on a huge scale, nature bats last. Bottom of the ninth and, you know, and end of a baseball game, nature's at bat and basically has the final say what happens. Later, a short hike through a muddy creek bed takes us through a few patches of quicksand before we ultimately arrive at Cathedral in the Desert. Teal Leto is on the trek, too. She makes short videos on TikTok about the Colorado River under the name Western Water Girl. Honestly, I'm kind of speechless, which is really funny for me because I always have something to say. But it is gorgeous. It's amazing to me to imagine that this was all underwater and it will be underwater again soon. We're staring up at Cathedral's cavernous, rounded walls. It's a breathtaking pocket of space in the rock, where the sounds of a trickling waterfall echo through the canyon. kind of wish there was a choir here, because I think it would be really beautiful. Does anybody know how to sing? This waterfall used to look a lot different. Again, Jack Staus. People used to just boat right up, like, you know, 100 feet above the waterfall. 
Staus and other environmentalists say Lake Powell, which he just calls the reservoir, should be drained. Water should be stored elsewhere, and the full majesty of Glen Canyon should be allowed to return. I don't think we should just think that the uh, drawdown of these reservoirs is over. I think we should use the moment to rethink completely how we store, use, and conserve water across the West, and I think Glen Canyon should be at the heart of that conversation. Glen Canyon and those who fight for its future will have to wait a little longer. Scientists are predicting a huge springtime boost for the reservoir, bringing water back to its side canyons and more uncertainty about what will happen next. I'm Alex Hager in Bullfrog, Utah. The Moab City Council is in session today. Maggie McGuire of the Moab Sun News gives us a preview. At this week's Moab City Council meeting, the Communications, Sustainability, and Parks and Rec Department will all give updates on what's going on in their realm. Council members will also discuss the upcoming Cane Creek Boulevard reconstruction project and possibly approve a contract for the Moab Police Department's body and dash camps, as well as create an audit committee to help City Council with oversight of financial audits and compliance issues. Moab City Council meetings are held on the second and fourth Tuesday of every month at 6 p.m. and streamed online on Moab City's YouTube page. And that's the KZMU News for Tuesday, May 23rd. Get your community-powered journalism weekdays on the airwaves at noon and 6 p.m. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.